Why we believe the Bible. And this is lesson number six. I want to start off this way this morning. We watched, a, my wife and I watched a documentary several years ago about a young man who grew up in America, but he was uh, from an Indian family, a family from India. And this young man thought it would be funny to dress up uh, like a guru from India and, uh, and talk in his thick Indian accent and try to fool people and uh, make them think he's some kind of wise, brilliant man. And so he would just literally string just random thoughts together that just made absolutely no sense. But in that accent and wearing what he was wearing, and he was just trying to draw a crowd just to see, it was a social experiment to see how many people he could get to kind of become his followers. And he was shocked. By the end of this series, he was absolutely shocked how many people... Uh, were following him. They were, they were giving things to him, selling things so they could give things to him. They were singing his praises to everybody, telling all their friends about this guru. And literally, he was not making any sense by anything he was saying. And it was funny at first, watching this whole thing take place. But then, as time went on, you realized how sad this was. And by the end of the thing, and he was actually completely broken by the end of it, like, why did I do this? Because people, when he finally came clean and gathered all these people around and told them, this has been a big hoax, they, there were a lot of angry people, let me tell you. But here's, here's my point this morning as we talk about our subject. There, there are charlatans out there who are using the Bible in the exact same way. They're picking and grabbing and cutting and dicing the Bible as much as they can and then serving it on a platter. And the Internet has given even more and more a following to any, any harebrained idea. So, the question this morning, how do we guard ourselves from deception? How do we understand the Bible correctly? And how do we get the most out of our Bible reading, our devotion time, the time we spend in the Word personally? We've been talking about uh, the path of the Bible from God's mouth to our hands. And um, we've talked about inspiration, that is God giving man the word and man penning it. And then we, last week we talked about translation, where God uh, used man to translate and has used man and continues to use man to translate the word of God into languages all over the world, including English. And we kind of followed the pathway of the English Bibles. But God still has more work to do even after we get a Bible in our language. God has more work to do, and we have more work to do. Uh, Once a person has the Word of God in their hand, the next step for any of us is to understand it. Just because it's in our language doesn't mean we get it yet. And in fact, this is an important truth this morning, every part of Scripture can be understood. Every part of Scripture can be understood. God's not playing hide-and-seek with truth. He wants people to know the truth. He wants the light to go on in our hearts and our minds. Okay, so remember our theme verse for this series, and that really is 2 Timothy 3.16. Again, there's two 3.16s. Everybody should know. John 3.16 and 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That is, God breathed. But look at this next part of the verse. It says, and is profitable. And is profitable. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Scripture is not only inspired, but it is profitable, which means that it has purpose. 
It has meaning. God wants his word to profit our life. It's profitable, and all of it is. But it can only profit a person when they understand it and when they follow it. So how can a human, uh, just a mere human being, understand a supernatural book? How do we understand the word of God? There's a God part to this, us understanding the word of God, and there's also a man part, just like there's a God part in inspiration and a man part, man's part in penning it, and, uh, and, and God has worked his, his uh, power to preserve Scripture, and man has translated it, and God's going to use us again in even understanding it. So how do we understand the Bible? That's what we're looking at this morning. And here is God's part. Illumination. Illumination. Now this means that God the Holy Spirit enlightens the mind of a believer to receive and understand spiritual truths. God the Holy Spirit enlightens the mind of a believer to receive and understand spiritual truths. Here's the, here's the thing this morning. Understanding the Bible is not just an intellectual exercise. When we go to read our Bibles, there's a lot more happening than just me reading some uh, words on a page. This is a supernatural God moment. Now here's one of the key passages in the Bible about the doctrine of illumination. Second, or 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 10. But God hath revealed them unto us, this is these spiritual truths, by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now let's focus on verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. So a natural man or an unsaved person cannot understand spiritual truths because the Holy Spirit is the one who enlightens them or turns the light on. He's the one who gives them uh, the understanding. That's why when people read the Bible and they say, man, I don't understand this, it's foolishness to me. It's because you're not reading with the mind of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has not illuminated the passage for you. God has to turn on the light for somebody to get the Bible. You know, Paul prayed for the Christians in Ephesus this. He said that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. You see, every person desperately needs the eyes of their understanding to be opened by God. Every person does. After the resurrection, Jesus was speaking with his disciples. And he was trying to get them to see a truth. And here's what it says in Luke 24, 45. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. The psalmist made this request. And this is a great prayer to pray before you read the word in the morning. He said, open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Now, without, so without the work of the Holy Spirit, we're saying this morning is we cannot understand the Bible how it's meant to be understood. We cannot. 
We cannot understand the spiritual things that are in the Word of God truly until we have the Spirit of God living in us and illuminating this passage for uh, those verses for us. And this is why so many people read it and study it intellectually, but it never changes their life. It does nothing for them. People say to me sometimes, uh, my brother, you know, I listen to my brother. He knows a lot about the Bible. And so I'm listening to him. Or my mom, she knows a lot about the Bible. So I, I'm getting a lot from her. <laughs> Watch out. It, it doesn't really matter how much a person knows about the Bible. Uh, the question is, do they know the God of the Bible? Do they know the author? Charles Spurgeon said that for most books, you can't ask the author a question. If, especially if the author has died, you're, you're in bad luck. You're not going to be able to go ask the author to clarify something he wrote. But with the Bible, you can ask the author anytime. The author is right there. Here's the truth. The Holy Spirit, and I want everybody to hear this, the Holy Spirit indwells, the Bible tells us, indwells the, every believer. He comes in and he lives inside of every believer, which means that every Christian has the capacity to understand spiritual truth. All we have to do is ask the Lord, God, I'm about to open your word. Would you please open my eyes of understanding? Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous truths out of your law. You know, Jesus said this, remember, he said, my sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. I love that. There are actually several stories that I've read about uh, sheep knowing the voice of their shepherd. You might have read some of those. There was, uh, I heard about one uh, traveler who went to Jerusalem and uh, he wanted to, he saw a shepherd and he wanted to try this little experiment. And so he switched, he said, he asked the shepherd, could we uh, change clothes? You wear my clothes, I wear your clothes, and I'm going to go out there and I'm going to try to lead the sheep. And we'll both call the sheep and see what happens. Well, the sheep went to the shepherd's voice. They don't follow his clothes. There was another story in, during World War I about some soldiers who tried to steal a whole flock of sheep from a hillside uh, near Jerusalem. And the, the shepherd was sleeping, I guess, and he woke up and he found that his sheep were uh, being taken away by these soldiers. So he, you know, he couldn't physically do anything, but he just called out to the sheep, and those sheep listened. They turned around and returned right back to their, their shepherd. Right. Now, uh, the, the Jesus said... I, my sheep hear my voice. Once you make Jesus the shepherd of your life, once he is your only shepherd, then all of a sudden something supernatural happens in your heart and mind and you recognize the voice of Jesus. And when you begin to read the word of God, all of a sudden there's something new that you hadn't seen before because the Holy Spirit has now turned on the light. Because what you've done and what I've done is then at that moment to be all, I'm just, Lord, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm with you. I'm your sheep. And whatever you say, my heart is ready to do. And the people who are ready to obey, the people who are ready to follow what the Lord says, you will behold wondrous things out of the Bible. You know, Jesus also, real quick, used the illustrations of, of seeds. Remember when Jesus said the farmer goes to sow the seed and it falls on hard ground and thorny ground? But then he said that soft ground. Uh, that it's ready to receive it. And that's the difference in a person reading the Bible uh, and, uh, and then truly understanding the Bible. But if you do have the right heart and you are ready to receive what the Lord would say to you 
and then he'll do and follow through with what he says, then we can move on to the next step. The first step is illumination. The next step, and this is our part, and that is interpretation. And that's what we're going to talk more about this morning. You know, it's interesting. The Holy Spirit illuminates the Scripture, and He opens our eyes of understanding. Supernaturally, something takes place. But that doesn't mean it takes all the work out of understanding the Bible. There's still a lot of work involved on our part. Uh, One of my life verses is 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. Study, which means to be diligent, work hard, is literally what that Greek word means. Work hard to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This, This verse is really all about the handling of the word of God. And basically, Paul was telling this young preacher, Timothy, to be diligent about studying so that you don't twist the Word of God and you don't distort the Word of God. You're supposed to rightly divide it. This means to accurately interpret what the Word of God means. But also, this, in this verse, if you think about it, it implies that you can wrongly divide the truth. It is possible to wrongly divide the truth. Some people say, oh, that's just your interpretation of the Bible. That's this is my interpretation. That's your interpretation. As if there can be many interpretations. Uh, Here's an important rule of Bible study. There's only one proper interpretation of any passage. But there can be several applications. There's only one true interpretation, but there are many applications. And we'll talk about that more in just a moment. But the point is that Christians need to take seriously, Paul is telling Timothy, take seriously the duty that you have to properly interpret the Bible, to rightly divide the word of truth. You know, we see that warning package or warning uh, on labels and packages all the time. Handle with care. You see it all the time on the boxes that come in the mail. Handle with care. I think we should put that little sticker on everybody's Bible. Uh, Handle with care. Handle with care. What is interpretation? What is, by, what is interpretation? It's asking the question, if you boil it down, it really is just this. It's asking the question, what does it mean? What does it mean? What does, it really, what does this verse really mean? What does this passage really mean? So when we're reading the Bible and we're trying to understand the meaning, we don't, we're not just asking the question, what does it say? That's a different question. I think that's the question we should start with. What does it first say? What am I observing about this passage? And that's just simple reading. But the next question really is, what does it mean? What does it mean? And remember, when we say, what does it mean? It's not, what does it mean to me? Uh, In other words, we're not looking, we are looking for the truth. We're not looking for my truth. I'm not looking for our truth or somebody else's. I'm looking for what does this truly mean? I want to just briefly say, and I don't have time to go into this, but uh, some people talk about presuppositions, and, and it is true. Everybody goes into the Bible, your Bible reading, with presuppositions. Everybody does. He can't help it. Um, but there are good presuppositions. The, in the Old Testament, King Josiah, I, again, I don't have time to go through the story, but remember King Josiah, the Bible was gone. It wasn't around. Nobody had been reading the Word of God. There was no copies the temple was in disrepair and broken down, and, and he, he uh, took an offering and said, we're going to build back this temple. 
And in the middle of the cleaning, somebody found the scroll. They found the word of God and somebody brought it to the king and began to read it. And he rent his clothes and began to weep. Why in just the reading did he rent his clothes and say, we got to get back. And he said, God's going to judge us if we don't follow this. Why would he automatically go there? Because his presupposition was that the Bible is true and it's unchangeable. And so I have to do what it says. I have to follow. This is God's word. So by entering into Bible reading with the presupposition that it's true and unchangeable, that's the, that is the right presupposition. So I'm asking, what does it mean then as I enter into uh, Bible understanding? I have to begin with that, uh, that correct thinking. But here are the principles of interpretation as we begin. First thing is, I'm going to interpret it literally. So what does it mean? I'm, I have to interpret literally. Interpreting literally just means a straightforward, normal reading of the passage. Basically, this says what it means and means what it says. And I've heard, if anybody's been around at the home church for any amount of time, I've heard all my life my dad say uh, this phrase, if you're reading the Bible, if it makes sense, uh, make no other sense. If it, if it makes sense, you're reading it, then don't try to make any other sense of it. It's literal. Take it literally. Literal, literal interpretation also recognizes, though, the need to interpret figuratively sometimes. There it's, if it's figurative language, then we need, to, we need to interpret it figuratively. When Jesus says, I am the door, Jesus is not a literal door with hinges and a handle. Okay, this is obviously a figurative, this is figurative language and needs to be interpreted figuratively. The opposite of literal translation is spiritual allegorical. Um, and this is usually what separates the conservative scholars, conservative Bible scholars from the liberal Bible scholars. When we say conservative and liberal, liberal we're not talking about uh, politically, their political views. What we're talking about is their, their view of Scripture and how to interpret it, the fancy word hermeneutics. But conservative Bible scholars will interpret the Bible Literally. And that's the right way to do it. We get our example on how to study the Bible literally from the best Bible scholar that ever lived, Jesus. Jesus and the apostles interpreted the Old Testament literally. So did the early church. You see it constantly in their writings as well. In fact, it was a hundred or two years Later, after the time of Christ, that people really started to look at Scripture in a more allegorical way. The Greeks loved allegory. In fact, even before Jesus, Plato uh, developed this whole non-literal uh, method of interpreting the Greek religious Scriptures. And one reason, though, that he had to do that and make all those Greek writings... Um, non-literal and allegorical is because is because of the immoral embarrassing really immoral behavior of the greek gods you know uh oh well that's just a deeper meaning you know there's a deeper meaning behind all those things that they're doing because we, can, we can't actually have people living that way i mean it's impossible but after but after jesus came some teachers started to rise up reading the scriptures and they started to interpret the bible in that same way that plato was and others Spiritual, allegorical, and still today, people take the Bible, turn it into all so sorts of allegories, and spiritualize everything. 
Do you see how this word here has uh, six letters? you see how this word here has uh, seven letters? Well, interesting. That refers to the battle between God and Satan and, and all these things happening in the, you know, in the heavenlies. And, and then Noah's flood. Well, Noah's flood, that's an allegory. It's, it's not, it wasn't a true, literal flood. It's, a, it's an allegory of teaching a deeper truth. Uh, Jesus' death and his resurrection, well, he didn't really die uh, physically. He died spiritually. Uh, you got to understand what that means. And, and it's, it's a spiritual resurrection. And, and where does this end? Where does it end? I mean, you, we start going down that road, we can literally just take it anywhere we want to. Just this week, I read about a brand new Bible that just came out. And this is, was fascinating to me. I mean, uh, saddening. They put every word in the Bible. Their computer did this. No human just did this all by themselves. They put every word in the Bible in alphabetical order. Every word in the entire Bible and just listed it in alphabetical order. And I was reading about what some people were saying about, the supporters were saying about this wonderful Bible. It's helping us uncover new, deeper truths that we've never seen before in the Bible. Uh, let me tell you, they might be getting new meaning <laughs> out of the Bible, but it's not a true meaning. As usual, if it's new, it's not true, and if it's true, it's not new. You know, <laughs> it's not my own. Somebody else said that. Again, again, let's go back to Jesus and the apostles. They are our examples of how to interpret the Bible. Jesus talked about Jonah and the great fish as a true story. He wasn't, he wasn't calling it just a picture. Now, he used it as an example. He said, I'm, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish, so will the Son of Man uh, be buried for three days. He used it as a picture, but he never, ever said that it was a fictional tale. The text, as we read the scripture, gives us no way, uh, no reason to take these stories or these things that happen in, in the Bible any other way but literal. Same for Noah's flood, same for the physical death and resurrection of Jesus. The Bible is a literal book and it's meant to be interpreted literally unless it's obvious. Unless it's obvious. And God will make it obvious. You know, for example, sometimes in the Bible, uh, you'll see the disciples take things too literally. Somebody mentioned being born again. Uh, yeah, remember Nicodemus? Jesus said, you must be born again. What? Am I going to get back into my mother's womb and be born again? Okay, come, calm down, buddy. John chapter 4. I was just reading my, my Bible this week, John 4. And here's, listen to what Jesus said. Uh, I might have put it up here. Yeah, in the, in the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. And therefore... Said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him ought to eat? Somebody bring him something to eat. And Jesus, I'm sure, smacked his head and said, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and finish his work. So there's a figurative speech there, and Jesus clarifies it and makes sure we know that it's figurative. God makes it clear uh, in the Bible, figurative and literal. And again, if it makes sense, make no other sense. That's how we ought to interpret the Bible. Next thing is discover the author's intent. Discover the author's intent. When we're reading the Bible, it's important that we take a minute to consider what the author was intending to say. We have to think about that. 
That's the only way we're really going to truly get the, the correct meaning. Is, it, is, the, is, he, is he trying to correct something here? Is he trying to prophesy something here? Is he trying to teach something in this passage? Is he trying to command something in this passage? What does this passage, what does this verse mean from the author's perspective? So remember this rule of interpretation, as I mentioned at the beginning. There's only one correct interpretation or meaning of a Bible passage, but there can be many applications. So we interpret everything we read this way in life as well. If a news reporter says three people died in a plane crash, we don't assume that three people had had their dreams come crashing to the earth after a plane crashed yesterday. No, we take it literal. Three people died in a plane crash. Words have meaning, and God is careful with his words. God doesn't play games with words. He gives the words that he wanted to give. There's a lot of discussion about this kind of thing, uh, original intent, when we talk about the Constitution of the United States, you know, especially when it comes to the judges. Some people believe that the Constitution is a fluid document, or it's a living document, meaning that Uh, It doesn't have to be interpreted as the original authors intended. Uh, We can interpret it, it's fluid, we can make up our own version of it now. But if you go start going down that road and you start thinking down that path, you could literally make it say whatever you want it to say. I mean, the end of that is infinity. I have no idea where that would end. And some people do this with the Bible as well. They think it's a fluid document. There's a lot of liberal professors that Take it this way. The Bible can just change with the times. But the Constitution is not like that, and the Bible is certainly not like that. Uh, Our Jehovah's Witnesses and Rob Bell, they don't like Bible verses on hell, for example. They hate the Bible verses on hell. So we're just going to change it to mean something else that we don't want it to mean, or that, that that we like it to want it to mean. One of the things we like to call that kind of thinking is people who change their belief instead of changing their behavior. If you don't like what the Bible says, well, I'm just going to change my belief. I, don't, I just don't believe it's true. Or I, I believe that's not what he meant to say or whatever. Um, but that's not how you interpret the Bible. You can't interpret the Bible that way. We need to determine what the author was intending to say, the original intent, and then we adjust our life to fit the book. This is why, just as a, in way of just a warning, if you're in a Bible study with people, if you're in a Bible discussion group, you need to be very careful. We don't ask the question, what do you think it means? That's a dangerous question to ask in a Bible study. We, we, don't, get, we don't get to say what we think the Bible means uh, in, in, a, in a situation like that. Uh, we don't get to say what we want the Bible to mean. It means what it means. But we can discuss what it actually means. So if you're intending to get to the meaning of it in a series of questions, well, that's fine. But we have to get to the actual meaning of it, then discuss that, and then how to apply that. And it is important here, real quick, not to jump to the application before until you have the meaning. A lot of people do that, too. We've got to be very careful. So we're discovering the author's intent, the original intent of that uh, passage. And then lastly here, I mean, there's other things, other rules of interpretation, but these are the most important. This last one is 
vitally important. That is consider context. In, in one of my college classes, they assigned a textbook for us to read, and it was called this, How to Read a Book. Maybe some of you have read this, <laughs> How to Read a Book. That was quite funny title, a book on how to read a book. Uh, anyway, and it, but it was fascinating, but I don't remember any of it right now, so I'm probably reading all my books incorrectly. But, but the title was so interesting to me, and it left such an Im- impression on my mind. And it left that implication that it is possible to read the book, read a book improperly. <laughs> and I guess that is true. It is possible to read a book in a wrong way. I certainly know it's possible to read the Bible incorrectly. And things start to get way off when we take the Bible out of context. When you just start pulling and plucking little things. Any scripture passage must be interpreted in light of the context of the Bible. The verses before it, the verses after it, the whole Bible itself, the historical setting of of that passage, the cultural setting, often needs to be taken into consideration. To truly have the correct interpretation, you have to do comparing. You have to do thinking. You have to think while you read. (laughs) Mindless reading of the Word of God is dangerous. Uh, You know, as my mom used to say, uh, you know, you're a strainer. Sometimes you read the Bible and you're just like a strainer. It's just running right through you. You're not even getting anything. But at least it's a cleaner strainer. So that's a good thing. So at least you're reading the Bible and you're doing it out of habit and out of discipline. And that's good. But you're not really, you're not really getting to the bottom of it. You're not really fully understanding it until you start to think and to compare. Let me give some examples of interpreting correctly using context. All right? One of the main rules of Scripture interpretation is let Scripture interpret Scripture. All right, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Now, I, I could pull this from the pages of the Bible and use it for anything. Because, I mean, it says all things. I can do all things. So if I, if I want even something evil, if I wanted to do something evil, I could even pull it out and say, see, I can do something even evil in the strength of Christ. Because I, I can do all things through Christ. But when you read the verses before it and after it, In context, this verse is actually just talking about Paul having enough provision for his his journeys and his ministry. He was saying, right, he's saying, listen, I know how to have plenty. People have given to the ministry and I've had plenty. But I've also known times where people have not given anything and I've had to literally go hungry. But I can do anything through Christ which strengthens me. I can be content whether I have a lot or whether I have a little. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. That's the context. And so you have to read it in context to really get the right meaning. But, the, but that's the interpretation of it. But there are other applications. For example, I could use this verse to say that Christ can strengthen me to accept any kind of situation in my life that God allows. Not just being poor or rich, but... Also, if things are going good or things are going bad, because it's in the same vein of, as what Paul was saying. So I certainly could go ahead and use that verse to apply in that way, as long as there's other verses in the Bible that are helpful and, and applying to that as well. 
There's only one true interpretation, but there are several applications. Here's another, Philippians 2, verse 12. Here, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This verse seems to teach that good works lead to salvation. Work out your own salvation. Uh, you have to basically save yourself by doing good. But if you read it in context, the very next verse is going to clear everything up. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Okay, so now we see what God's saying. You see that God is doing this work in us uh, so that we'll obey him. So to work out your own salvation means to work outwardly what God has already been doing inwardly. He's been working in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. So now, so work that out. Work out that thing. Work it outwardly. Uh, there are a lot of verses like this, and we have to be very careful. It has to be in context. One more. Let me show you a, how a cult will use a verse out of context. It's Ezekiel 37, verse 15 to 16. The word of the Lord came unto me again, saying, Moreover, thou son of man, take thee one stick and write upon it for Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick and write upon it for Joseph the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel, his companions. I'm not going to go through the whole of the passages, but then he tells them, put the sticks together. And God has Ezekiel do this funny little object lesson. But the Mormons have misinterpreted this passage for their false religion. They teach that the two sticks are the two scrolls which were rolled on sticks and then joined together. They say that the first scroll represents the Bible and the second scroll represents the Book of Mormon. And the context, and so they, God wants to bring them together, and they are both uh, scripture. So the, but if you read, keep reading, in context, it's extremely clear. God made it very clear what this whole thing was about. It was about the joining of Judah and the joining of Israel, the divided kingdoms, and God would bring them back together someday, under the the, the ruling of Jesus. So dangerous doctrines have been started. And kept going because of taking verses out of context. Jesus is not God. Hell is not real. The Old Testament is not important. God didn't create the world. Homosexuality is not a sin. People taking and plucking things out of context uh, has led to all kinds of doctrinal dangerous errors. This is why, again, we need to handle with care. Handle with care. Read in context. Now as we close here real quick, the Bible, I just want to say this, the Bible's not difficult to interpret. Even a child can understand much of it. But, having said that, we all need a little help. Every single one of us, we need help with, with understanding the Scriptures. And the helpers that God, God uses, uh, he, gives in this, he talks about in Scripture, for example, the local church. Paul, Paul said in the Bible that, the, uh, the, the local church is the pillar and ground of the truth. We need the local church. It is, a, it is a strengthening. It helps us understand truly the word of God. Good teaching, good preaching from trusted Bible students is so helpful. And then just good Bible study aids and books and other things. Because, but let me remind us of this verse, Proverbs eleven fourteen, where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So we need to... We need to go to counselors. We need to, 
ask counselors, what do you say about this Bible passage? What do you, I do this constantly. And I've, I thought it might be helpful for you, but I listed there my most used counselors on your notes. I don't think I put them up here, no. But uh, let me just briefly mention, blueletterbible.org is a great website to get a lot of free things, Strong's Concordance, all the time. Basically what I did here is, these are not the only ones, okay? I use and not the only ones that are out there. This is just my most frequently used. I I just had to think, okay, what do I mostly use? And wrote it down here. So Treasure treasure of Scripture Knowledge, which is a great one just to cross-reference and compare Scripture to Scripture. All kinds of other passages that relate to that Bible passage you're reading. Matthew Henry's commentary, the great, great Matthew Henry's commentary. Charles Spurgeon notes. By the way, the Matthew Henry commentary, Charles Spurgeon said he read that through every year. I mean, that's amazing. But, um, but uh, Charles Spurgeon's notes, David Guzik, who's uh, a good conservative. And then Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown commentary. Also, the BibleGateway.com, one of my favorites, just for a real... Uh, easy reading co- commentary that seems to bring some nice light to scriptures. The Believer's Bible Commentary by William McDonald. Very helpful. I, I sometimes will go and look at John MacArthur's commentary. And then I like really like Warren Wiersbe's commentary as well. And there are a, a lot of others. But remember, we're, we're looking for somebody who's taking the Bible literally. We're looking for somebody who takes the Bible in context. So if our hearts are ready to obey and to follow the word, and we put forth wise effort. Everybody, everybody can understand the Word of God. We can. When you boil it all down, I'm going to end with this. Howard Hendricks said this. The task of Bible study is to think God's thoughts after Him. It's just to think God's thoughts after Him. I love that. That's what we're trying to do. When we read the Bible, I just want to think God's thoughts and and be able then to apply it to my life.